Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, and uh, I'm really excited. Uh, we're starting a new series that we're going to be diving into uh, just a moment here. So if you got uh, your own Bible or you want to pull up on your phone, we're going to be mostly in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 41 to 52. We're also going to take a look at Psalm 1 because what we're doing here is we're going to be taking several weeks, uh, actually a couple months here, to be looking at the way that the Old Testament scriptures formed the life of Jesus. You know, sometimes when we come to God's word, uh, maybe uh, de- not, not really depending on how long you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter how comfortable you are with the Bible, this big, huge section at the front, like the first two-thirds, can feel really intimidating because maybe you don't know what's going on. There's all these different kinds of genres. And we're going to be taking a look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus because what we're going to see is throughout the life of Jesus, Jesus is constantly referencing the Old Testament scriptures. His life was formed by the Old Testament. And so we're going to be taking a look at these moments in his life where he references the scripture. He references the Old Testament. We're going to be asking ourselves, how did Jesus see the passage, how did this passage form Jesus's life, and how is it fulfilled in Jesus? And so that's where we're going. Uh, We're going to be this morning, again, in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52, and we'll look at Psalm 1, because we're beginning with how Jesus approached the scriptures in the first place. So I'll read right now. We're going to read our, our, we're going to read both passages just for some context to get our mind around what God might have to say to us this morning. Then I'll pray and I'll ask him to speak to us and then we'll dive in and see what he has to say to us here this morning. So Luke chapter two, verse 41 to 52, and then Psalm chapter one. You can listen along and read along with me as I read aloud. This is what God's word says, starting in Luke two, verse 41. Now his, that's Jesus. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. At this point, Jesus is a young boy. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. At this point, all the parents are getting major anxiety. Uh, And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, understatement of the century. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
That's God's word for us this morning, written by human authors in their own style and context and language, but inspired by God. And every time we open up God's word, he has something to say to us. So let's pray right now and ask that the spirit of God would speak to us here as we sit on the beach. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. Uh, We're grateful for everything that you are for us in Jesus, grateful that you've done for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. When you took on all the consequences of our sin and failures and shortcomings and the mess we've made of the world, and you took it into yourself because you so loved us. You're a God of redeeming love, and that, that love, if we are in Jesus, there's nothing that could ever hold us back from the love of God that all of our sin, past, present, and future, is paid for and covered in Jesus. We pray now that you would speak. And right now, Lord, if there's anything that's holding us back, any fear or doubt, any distraction, any sin that's left unconfessed, and we've just got this hanging something with you that's in the back of our minds that we know is holding us back for full closeness with you, God. Right now, we just want to acknowledge that at your feet. So right now, if there is anything anything that would be a distraction, any sin that you've not come before God with, just name it before God in the safety of knowing that his grace covers you. And even here as we, as we sit and, and as we're bringing things before God, we remember the promises of God. That if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as 1 John 1 says. That is, it says in Romans chapter 8, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, and that later there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. We remember that, God. We receive it. We pray, come Holy Spirit and teach us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What was the Scottish philosopher Alistair McIntyre who said this? I can only answer the question, what should I do? If I first answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part? See, every decision that we make, everything that we do, whether we think about it consciously and it's a thought-through decision or it's an impulsive decision in the moment, every decision that we make comes in a context. Whether we realize it or not, whether we could articulate it clearly or not, each of us lives out of a story that we tell ourselves a story of who we think we are, a story of who we think God is or isn't, and a story of what we think our place in the world is. And all of us live out of one story or another, and we're constantly telling ourselves that story by the way we live our lives and the decisions that we make and the internal monologue that we reinforce over and over again. Psychologists call this narrative identity, the idea, the idea that our very personhood, our sense of self is rooted in a story that we tell ourselves. Uh, Julie Beck, who's a, an, um, a journalist for The Atlantic, she summed it up really well when she summarized this idea of narrative identity in a piece she wrote a couple years ago for The Atlantic. She put it like this. She said, a person's life is not a Wikipedia biography of the facts and events of a life but rather the way a person integrates those facts and events internally, putting them together in a story, in other words. This narrative becomes a form of identity in which the things someone chooses to include in that story and the way she tells it can both reflect and shape who she is. A life story doesn't just say what happened, it says why it was important, what it means for who the person is, for who they'll become, and for what happens next. Each of us lives out of a story that we tell ourselves. 
And so when we think about our own lives, and for a community like this, where we're wanting to learn the ways of Jesus and learn to follow Jesus together as a community, the question that's begging to be asked is, does the functional story that I tell myself as an individual, does the functional story that I live out of, the one I really live out of, does it reflect reality? And to put it more on the nose as we learn to follow Jesus together, the question becomes something like this. Are we living out of the same story that Jesus lived out of? Are we shaped by the same story that Jesus lived out of? In our day-to-day life, in the, in the uh, just impulsive decisions that we make or the way that we go about our routine and the big decisions of life that we come to, the way we navigate relationships, the way we navigate work, the way that we navigate everything in life, are we shaped by the same story that Jesus was shaped by. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, when you open up the scriptures and you look at the first four books of the New Testament that we call the Gospels, or these spirit-inspired biographies of the life of Jesus, and when we look at these four accounts of Jesus' life, what we see is that Jesus' life was saturated by the Old Testament scriptures. And of course, we as followers of Jesus now on the other side of Jesus' coming, we have new inspired writings from God that we call the New Testament that we're also to be inspired by, but Jesus in his time came and was saturated in what we call the Old Testament. It's a story that formed him, that shaped him, that he lived out of. And so as we enter into this series, well, we're going to look at what Jesus's relationship to the Old Testament was like and how it shaped and formed him and how it shaped a story that he lived out of. We need to begin by looking at how Jesus approached the scriptures in the first place. What was his approach to the scriptures that formed his life, that created a story that he lived out of, the true story of who God is, what God's doing in the world, and therefore who we are? We have to begin with looking at how Jesus approached the scriptures. And then for the next several weeks, like I said, now coming on a couple months, that we're going to be looking into week by week these places in scripture that we see Jesus' story shaped by the true story of scripture. But all begins with this that each of us live out of a story that we tell ourselves. And in the life of Jesus, we see that the library of scripture is the true story that forms us into his words and ways as we devote ourselves to it and we seek who he is in it. And that's where we're going. And so when we look at Jesus's life of of devoting himself to the scriptures and and we look in these two passages, Luke chapter two, when Jesus is a young man and he's devoting himself to scripture, and this, this in, the, in the narrative of the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the Gospel, the book that this, that this passage comes from, it's at this moment kind of, of, of um, like set table setting for the life of Jesus, where Jesus is about to begin his ministry in just a, 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 few, um, a few short paragraphs from here. We, the, the action really begins with his life and ministry. But the foundation of it all is what's happening in this story here, Jesus' devotion to the scriptures. Jesus is about to be tempted. He's about to reject temptation. He's about to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, where we failed in our moments of temptation. Jesus succeeded, and all that is formed by his devotion to scripture that, that comes just before it. And so as we look at this section and we look at Psalm 1 and the way that Jesus' devotion to scripture is reflected in Psalm 1, we're going to see three things. We're going to see what scripture is. We're going to see what we're supposed to do with Scripture in the first place, and we're going to see what Scripture does to us. So we come to Scripture, and we're going to see what it is. We're going to see what we're to do with it, 
and we're going to see what it does to us. So we begin with what scripture is, right? So many of us, maybe we didn't grow up in a church background, we're just here exploring, or maybe we grew up in the church and we still got these huge questions and we're like, what the heck is this massive thing that sits on my nightstand or my bookshelf or is, is downloaded into my phone? Like, it, it's the biggest book I've ever picked up. I have no idea what's going on in it. What the heck is it? There's many common approaches to what scripture is. In a lot of traditional cultures or in traditional families, traditional backgrounds, scripture is often thought of as kind of like the rule book of life, the handbook of life. Like I've heard people say, describe the Bible as basic instructions before leaving earth. It's the idea of like the Bible is a, is a rule book. And so in this way of thinking, life is Ikea furniture and the Bible is the instructions to the Ikea furniture. And as anyone who's ever built, uh, built Ikea furniture can tell you, and I've done that many times in my life, starting in college and then now almost every year of my life until now, and so I'm well-versed in the ways of following Ikea instructions, or more accurately put, the ways of attempting to follow Ikea instructions. Anyone that's assembled Ikea furniture will tell you that instructions are very helpful and very important, but they're not exactly beautiful. Like if you're looking for like something to move your heart, something to shape your life around, you're not like, let's get, let's get out the instruction manual, right? You're not, it doesn't make your heart sing. It doesn't shape your character, even though it's incredibly helpful. And scripture does have commands. God has a vision for our lives and they're not just suggestions. It's, it's the way we were made to live and it's where flourishing can be found. But treating scripture as commands alone not only fails to do justice to what scripture actually says about itself, if all it is is commands, but it actually can lead to a kind of cold legalism that looks nothing like the way of Jesus. And so yes, commands. Yes, we need to follow his commands. We're gonna learn about that in a little bit, but it can't be just that. Not if we're actually taking what it says seriously. So another way of thinking about the Bible, if it's not a rule book, maybe some of us are reacting to that kind of cold legalism that we see in following scripture as only a rule book. Some of us think of it as kind of like an inspirational quote book. Like it's that like very well curated uh, book that you picked up, put, picked up to put on your coffee table with like these, with this really sharp design and some really well, well uh, appointed photographs and just like a few like quotes to inspire you. It's like your Monday motivation, right? It's like, the, it's, it's like the stuff you post on your story on Instagram that's like, this is getting me through my week. And that's what the Bible is, right? You pick it up, you turn to a random page, you pick a sentence and you're like expecting to get something that's going to like get you through the week. But then you actually open up the Bible and you, and, you, and you go to a random section of scripture and you're like, finger rings and nose rings, that's an actual verse by the way, finger rings and nose rings, like what am I supposed to do? Okay, I guess I'm going to the tattoo parlor. We're getting finger rings and nose rings, right? We, we come to actual scripture and we see that the whole story of scripture, when we approach it from the big picture perspective, is the most inspiring story that there is. And yet scripture itself doesn't lend itself to these, these uh, perfectly quotable nuggets, at least if we take the whole thing seriously. And the whole, the whole idea of creating like a quote book leads us to kind of picking and choosing the passages that we find most inspiring in the moment, which prevents us from actually letting God reveal our blind spots and dealing with the tricky parts or the parts that challenge us or put us outside our comfort zone. And so if we only treat it like an inspiring quote book, we end up missing the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives, in his love. And so it has to be more than an inspirational quote book, and it presents itself as more as an inspirational quote book. All this to say, what is scripture? 
If it's not a rule book, if it's not an inspiring quote book only, then what is it? Well, this is what we see in Psalm 1-2, the passage, one of the passages we just read. Psalm 1-2 talks about the blessed person as someone that delights in what our translation here says, the law of the Lord. And that might seem on its face like, okay, law of the Lord, so that's the rule book, right? Like that's what laws are. Laws are rules, and so you obey rules, and so that's the rule book. That's what it's saying. But if you unpack that phrase more to see how that fits in what Scripture actually is, it it presents a much fuller picture. Because that word that we translate law, law is a perfectly great translation, uh, so I'm not throwing translation, the translation under the bus at, at all, but it means more than what we, our knee-jerk reaction to the term law. It's the word in Hebrew, Torah, Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible uh, that, that's being referenced here. But more fully than that, the word Torah means the instruction or the teaching. And not instruction just as in rules, but it's a story that forms the way that we think about the world. Because if you think about even what we think of as the law, like the command parts of the Bible in the first five books of the Bible, None of them come just out of nowhere. They're in the context of a story. So even when God gives commands to his people, even as you read the Bible, say, for example, the book of Exodus, and you read the 10 commandments that come in the book of Exodus, it comes in the context of a story that's unfolding. What scripture is revealing about itself is that it's not just a rule book to instruct us or a quote book to inspire us. It's a story, a true unified story to inspire us. And it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. This is what Jesus himself, uh, this is what we see about how Jesus himself thought of scripture after his resurrection in Luke 24. Um, He's interacted with, uh, he's uh, risen from the dead. He's now interacting with a group of people uh, after having risen from the dead. And it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, that's, the new, that's kind of scripture's shorthand of saying the rest of the Old Testament. He, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures, that's the whole thing, the things concerning himself. So in Jesus' mind, Jesus looked at the whole Old Testament, all scripture, and he, said, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself. It was a story that leads to him. It's a story of creation, of our good creator God who's holy and whose very heart is love, who created all things and he created you and me and it's full of design and purpose and meaning such that life has meaning, life has value, creation itself has value. It's a story of a fall of you and me and all of humanity instead of trusting God and orienting our lives around God the way we were meant. Instead, we mistrust God wrongheartedly and we, instead of living on his terms and oriented around him, we try to live life on our terms. This is what the Bible calls sin and it separates us from him. And it's a story of redemption, of God entering into human, in human history and coming to sinful people who have separated themselves from him and lived as if they were his enemies and, and begun a plan of salvation to make a way. And this is the story of the Old Testament, God dealing with a family, the family of Abraham, to set up what he will do to bring redemption to all the families of the earth. And the story of the Old Testament is the story, as we'll see in this series, of God setting patterns and reflections 
reflections of what his redemptive heart is like, how he deals with you and me, all of it leading to Jesus, who is our true redeemer, and one day is gonna come again to bring fullness of restoration to everything that was lost through our sin. Redeemed creation, a life without sin and suffering and injustice and death, life in the presence of God in a new creation. And the story of scripture is a story that goes from creation and fall to redemption and finally to one day looking forward to all things being made right. It's a story that forms us. All of which leads us to ask, what the heck do we do with it? It's this huge, like, meta story crossing genres and different authors and different styles of writing, and it all forms this unified story, but what do we do with it? And we see that in the life of Jesus here. So what do we do with it? We'll look at what Jesus did. Here's what we see him doing, reflecting in his life the values that we see in Psalm chapter 1. First, we're to joyfully prioritize it. The story that forms this, we're to joyfully prioritize it. In Luke 2, 46, in Jesus' life, it says that after three days, his parents found him in the temple sitting among the teachers. And by the way, as a, as a parent now reading this, reading this passage of scripture, I'm just like, it, it just elevates my blood pressure level like you would never believe. Like they went days without knowing where their son was, right? Like searching the ancient world where there's no iPhone, there's no find my iPhone, there's no 911 to call, there's no Amber Alert, just like what the heck am I supposed to do, right? And anyway, hold on, that's a tangent. That's not what we're talking about. Anyway, it says after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers that Jesus so prioritized learning from the scriptures that he went out of his way to learn as much as he possibly could, to be formed as much as he could from God's word. In Psalm 1-2, it puts it like this. The blessed person is one who, whose delight is in the, the law or the teaching of the Lord. We're to joyfully prioritize it. We're to make rhythms of life where we get saturated with it. We're, to, we're, gonna, we're to schedule our days around having time to, be, to get input from God's word. Practically, that means setting aside time every day, if you can, or throughout the day, to begin forming yourself with God's word. Now, if that's not a habit for you, maybe that sounds so intimidating, but it can start so small. It can start with five minutes. Read a few verses, and then we'll tell you what to do with it in just a second here. But it's to make time and space for God to speak to us and form us through his word because we joyfully prioritize it. Secondly, what we see in Jesus is that we're to personally meditate on it. Again, what we see in Jesus' life in Luke 2 is he's listening to them. I'm quoting now from Luke 2, 46. Listening and asking them questions. He's not just reading it kind of passively and then cool move on to the next thing, check that box off the list. But he's, he's really internalizing it. He's asking questions of wise teachers about their perspective on it. And then in Psalm 1-2, it says, the blessed person delights in the law, and on the law, on God's law, they meditate day and night. They meditate on it. We're to personally meditate on God's word. And this word in Hebrew for meditate, it, it literally means to mutter to oneself. To, like, to talk to yourself. That's what this word literally means. And in our, in our culture, especially here on the West Coast, our idea of meditate typically uh, means to clear your mind or to still your mind. And to be sure, there is an element of stillness before God when we come to God's word. But in Jesus's way of thinking about meditating on scripture, it's not to clear our mind, it's to fill our mind with the presence and truth 
of God. It's to come to scripture and it's to work it over in our minds, literally to mutter it to ourselves. Maybe it's just to, to, to key in on something that we've read that we feel like God's really speaking to us or seems really important in the context of what we read and it's just to chew it, turn it over again and again and again in our mind. Maybe it's to commit to memorize it. Maybe it's to commit to setting an alarm a few times throughout the day. This is what I do. I read a little bit in the morning. I set some alarms throughout the day, and I come back to it throughout the day. I pick a line, and I just come back to it. I say it over again to myself throughout the day because I want my mind soaked with God's word to just have truth of who God is and who I am and what my place is in the world just filling my mind. I want to be marinated in God's word. And so what are the ways that it might look for you to meditate on it, to mutter to yourself truth of God? And then finally, what we see in Jesus is Jesus humbly submitted to it. In 246, he's listening to the teachers. He's orienting his life around what he's learning in God's word. And at this point, we, um, as much as we're, uh, we love the idea of being formed by the truth of God, or at least living into a story that's life-giving. Like that idea in general sounds great, but many of us are really uncomfortable with the idea of God's authority over us and, and the idea of God through his word having authority over us. But I think actually deep down, we long for God's authority. And here's what I mean, because maybe that seems totally counterintuitive. But think for a moment about what characteristics of God most capture your heart. Think for a moment about what most compels you or draws you to God. Maybe it's his love, the heart of a father who loves you. Maybe it's his creativity. You're looking out at the ocean and it just compels you that God's this God of beauty and creativity and wonder. Or maybe you're compelled about this God of, of mystery and holiness and, and he's just, you're, you're drawn by his majesty and, and you can't help but be compelled by his holiness and mystery. Whatever it is that captures your heart, whatever it is that most draws you to God, that thing, that element of God's character can't actually have bearing on your life unless God also has authority. Here's what I mean. I mean, if God really has authority in our lives that we're submitted to, that God's love is not just a nice idea, but it's something that can actually govern our lives. Or if, if God actually has authority in our lives, that God's wisdom and his creativity, it's not just good advice and creation, it's actually applied in our lives so that we flourish in his creation. Or if we're captured by God's majesty and holiness, if, we, if God has authority in our life, it's not just this kind of awe-inspiring thing from a distance, but it's a wonder to behold in a relationship with a creature, with our creator. See, for the things that compel us about God to actually have bearing in our lives, God has to have authority in our lives. Otherwise, those things are just a nice idea from a distance. We need to come to God's word submitting to it, coming to God's word and letting it have authority in us and letting it actually shape us. So we're to prioritize it joyfully, we're to meditate on it personally, and we're to submit to it humbly. That's what Jesus did with God's word. That's what we're to do with God's word. That's what we're gonna to learn to do together in this series. Finally, and we'll close quickly with this. What does scripture do to us? You see, in, in Psalm chapter one, we're told that the person that doesn't delight in God's word, 
the person that lives out of a story different than the story that we see in Scripture, that story of creation and fall and redemption and all things being set right in the end. A person that anchors their life in a different story, according to Scripture, to use the language of Scripture, it's like chaff that the wind drives away. And chaff is like the, the husk of, um, of a piece of wheat after the wheat has been cut off from the ground and now the, the dried up husk is cast aside. It's something that was once alive, it was once connected to a source of life, but now it's been cut off from the source of life. And that's life left to our own devices, life telling ourselves our own story, life living on our terms, not God's terms. It's, it's once alive, it was once connected to God, that's how we were created to be good, but now it's cut off from the source of life, and so maybe by all appearances still looks fine, but it's slowly withering away over time. But the person connected to the story of Scripture, Psalm 1-3, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he or she does, he or she prospers. It's a portrait of flourishing in all seasons. Not that every season is easy. Winter and drought, regardless of where a tree is planted, are hard. But a tree planted by water has what it needs to weather the winter and the drought. It's connected to its source of life. That scripture, the story of scripture, as we give ourselves to it by prioritizing it joyfully and meditating on it personally and submitting to ourselves, submitting it, uh, ourselves to it humbly, that it anchors us in meeting our deepest needs, having our deepest needs met in God himself. And this is what happens when we see what Scripture is actually about. Not approaching it as a rule book, not as an inspirational quote book, but devoting ourselves to it as the story of God that shapes us. See, I could, we could just approach this message with a challenge to be more intentional about devoting ourselves to Scripture. Like, this is what we got to do. We got to devote ourselves more to Scripture. And that'd be right to a point. Because that is a, a, a source of life. It, it is something that brings flourishing in our lives. But if that's all that we did, we'd actually be seeing Scripture in a different lens than what Scripture presents to itself. We'd actually be missing what the story is all about. Because if I'm honest, and I'm guessing if you're honest, I have not devoted myself to Scripture the way that I see in Jesus' life, the way that I see in Psalm chapter 1. I haven't really fully with every inch of my being delighted in God's law. I haven't meditated on it day and night the way that scripture presents itself. I haven't devoted myself to it the way that I see in the life of Jesus. I'm guessing the same is true for you to one degree or another. But what we see in Jesus is though you and I haven't lived up to God's vision for our life in a thousand ways, but especially what we see here with how we approach scripture, we see in Jesus' life that Jesus is doing for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. We see that Jesus is fulfilling the Psalm 1 vision of the blessed life. Jesus is the true and ultimate blessed person from Psalm 1 who delights in the law of the Lord. Where we've fallen short of Psalm 1, Jesus came and fulfilled the life of Psalm 1. We see the story of Scripture completed in Jesus. 
that though left to our own devices, we fall short of what God's vision for our life is. We fall short of relational connection with God himself. Jesus came as the creator God entered into human history to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to redeem us from the inside out. That He became one of us, that he might bless us with what he is, that he came, lived the kind of life that you and I haven't lived. And then and, and in being one of us, living the perfect version of us, he went to the cross to die in our place, to take in our shortcomings and our failures and our sin and absorb it into himself that he might take on our junk, that he might give us his blessedness, that he, that he might take on our disconnection from the Father to give us connection with the Father, that when we see in Scripture what the story is all about, it changes our view of God, and when our view of God is changed, it changes our view of ourselves, we begin living into a new story. We see that our story is brought in to the story of Jesus. And when we live out of Jesus' story, it changes everything. The scriptures come alive. The story comes alive. We see that our story is brought into his, and we see with opened eyes just how worth treasuring God really is. And so this morning, as we close here, we have some time just to come before God to respond to him what we see in the story, to see the self-giving love of God displayed for us in Jesus and letting that self-giving love change everything, letting it shape the way we live, letting it form us living now of a new identity and story. And yes, letting it form new practices and habits of our life that we learn to approach scripture differently. We delight in, in prioritizing it and we meditate on it personally and we submit to it humbly. But all this comes when we see who Jesus is and what God is for us in him. So right now I'm going to pray. We're going to close here with some time just to reflect, to take communion here. If you'd like, if you're a, part of, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a time just to remember the story of God displayed in Christ. That Jesus' body was broken. That he lived the kind of life that you and I haven't lived and yet went in our place. And that his blood was shed that because he died in our place, every sin, past, present, and future is covered and paid for. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So would you guys pray with me? We'll close here with some time of reflection, some time to take communion, and then as you feel comfortable, you can begin chatting with each other. We'll close our service just with a soft close after some time of reflection, and, and you can connect and have a great, great Sunday. But let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for everything that you are for us in Christ. We pray that we would be shaped by the story that Jesus was shaped by. That we would come to the scriptures, we would see what it is. We'd see that it's a story of, that forms us, a story that leads to Jesus. God, that we would come to your word and we would treat it the way that Jesus treated it. That we would look at even the Old Testament and we would, we would prioritize it. We would joyfully prioritize it we would personally meditate on it and we would humbly submit to it. And we pray, God, in all that, that we would be transformed by it, that we would be brought into a new story. We would, over time, through all seasons, live as people who are trees planted by streams of water, having our deepest needs met in God himself as we see that what scripture is showing us is that our story has been brought into Jesus' story. We pray for that. We ask you to teach us what that looks like how we're to apply it into our lives, what even tomorrow as we wake up on a Monday morning, how that should shape our lives and, and what that should mean for us personally. Would you continue to speak 
as we reflect on what we've seen in your word. And we ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to take some time to process. Come here and take communion when you're ready. And then whenever you've had some time to process and take communion and do whatever you need to do to reflect, take a walk like James likes to say, look out the ocean, chat with a friend. Feel free to connect with one another, hang out as long as you like, and have a wonderful Sunday.